need to hold your partner and put their hand on your, your hand on their heart. But other times it's really good to be able to communicate what went on for you, mm. especially if you're crying hysterically, you know, <laughs> your partner usually is quite curious as to like, hey, like, how are you feeling? Is there anything you want to talk about? I'm Alison Rice and welcome to Offline, the podcast. These are honest conversations about true self with the people behind the Instagram accounts and the teachers who help us on our way. A lot has changed since I launched Offline in September 2018. It started as a podcast and thanks to your ongoing support, it turned into a movement. Today, Offline exists to help us explore the essence of who we are and how to live, create and succeed in alignment with that. This is our true self. There's the podcast, a series of online courses I've created with our collective needs in mind and experiences that allow us to connect as a community. Visit getoffline.co to find out more or follow getoffline.co on Instagram. I hope this episode helps you on your way. Thank you for being here. We can't explore self without exploring sex. My next guest is a favourite to follow on Instagram and also to listen to. Juliet Allen is a leading Australian sexologist and coach. She's the host of Authentic Sex and the creator of the Juliet Pleasure Wand a tool to help us connect with our true sexual essence. This episode might be a lot for you, or it might not be enough for you. Feeling like we can explore and own our sexual energy is self-work. So as we continue expanding, let's commit to doing it with an open mind. Juliet and I discuss everything from sex as a pathway to healing, the importance of polarity in sexual energies in the bedroom, how to use our sexual energy to attract what we want in life, why our cycle is sacred, how to ask for what we truly desire, porn versus connected sex, and why it's time to redefine the word slut. We recorded this honest conversation on the phone during a cyclone, so we were at the mercy of some pretty dicey reception. It's also the first episode I haven't been able to see my guest, so with all of that considered, I think we did extremely well. There's some difficult and confronting parts, including us discussing our shared losses, so I want to give a trigger warning on that. Also, best not to have kids around for this one. Here's the Heaven Juliet and I for Offline. So I've been listening to your podcast, Authentic Sex, for the past year. Mm. And it hasn't been until I guess the last couple of months that I've felt maybe sort of mentally and physically ready to explore it on a deeper level. Like I've been listening Mm. and receiving it, but I knew Mm. I kind of wasn't in the right space or place to go there, if you know what I mean. Um, And I wondered with your listeners, do you find it's a lot of women who sort of listen with curiosity in the beginning before they start to really explore? Um, that's a good question. I haven't specifically been 
given this feedback by listeners that at the start they're curious and then they dive in more. So I haven't done enough research to know what people's journeys have been from the beginning of listening to, to say, today. Um, but I do, um, I imagine that a lot of women who are listening are curious and that some of the stuff I talk about um, may be confronting or just so new that it takes them a while to get their head around it. And also, like you said, be in a space where they can fully open to the new ideas and, and new experiences or just open to uh, a new way of being sexually. Yes. So. I have to tell you, um, you know, when you play the a podcast in your car, mine comes up on the screen beside the steering wheel. <laughs> And I was listening to one recently and it was like the title's really big. It was like anal sex and the clitoris. Oh, yeah, that one. <laughs> and there was literally like a car, like a truck full of like workers <laughs> next to me. And I looked to my right and I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> That's awesome. I want, I've very heard public. a few stories like that of, of people who've turned on the podcast Um one recently was some a woman was on a plane and she was listening to the blowjob one <laughs> and she pressed, it was like quiet. She's like, I'm going to listen to this. And she downloaded it ready for the flight and she pressed play but her earphones went in. So And then it started to, uh, it was my voice being like anal sex and this and she just said, yeah. I've heard a few stories like that. It's happened to me once um, where I accidentally I don't know what happened, but my voice started playing and I was just like, ah, no, not in public. <laughs> pause, pause, pause. Yeah. Uh, anyway, no, I thought that was funny. Um, one of the questions I have for you is you talk a lot about sort of obviously sexual empowerment mm. and if we can really start at the basics, how do you define that? What does that mean, sexual empowerment? Mm, good question. Well, I, I think Firstly, it means different things for different people. But for me, sexual empowerment is an integral part of, of being a woman. For me, it's like feeling like I can completely own my sexuality and my sexual energy. And I feel really um, embodied in my sexual energy and then being able to bring that to the world um, like with confidence and being open to exploration and being curious and um, not shaming myself or feeling guilt around my desires. That's how I'd define it. Mm. And how for you, without having to go into your entire backstory, was there sort of like a moment or a catalyst to, to your sort of like, would you call it like a sexual awakening or was that sort of like a slow journey to where you are today? I think, I think it's been a, um, not a slow journey, it's been quite fast paced and there's been a lot um, of experience and exploring along the way that's contributed to who I am now. But when I was 16, I went on an exchange. Well, I went and lived in Brazil by myself and I went to school there. And in Brazil, the culture is quite open. Um, children at age 16 aren't necessarily having a lot of penetrative sex, but there's a lot of sexual energy 
that's really accepted in the culture with dance and it's just quite a open culture I found and so I feel like that really impacted me at the perfect age because Mm. meanwhile back home the girls were like you know having quite unhealthy sexual experiences behind the toilet blocks and down at the creek and I was over in Brazil like learning about sexual energy in a really different way and um, yeah I think that was that was a big moment in my life and big few months that allowed me to accept my body and know that I didn't have to have penetrative sex to be loved and accepted, etc. How amazing. And I wonder, like to your point on perhaps the experiences that we were having here when we were sort of in our teens to early 20s, do you, have you found that Australian women suppress their sexuality? And I ask that because, you know, maybe it's, I don't know, the profession I've been in or my social circle, but I just haven't felt that we've spoken about sex much. Actually, I've got friends who absolutely, I have very deep and meaningful conversations, but do you find on the whole that we tend to suppress our sexuality? Um, I think on the whole, yes, it's still very taboo in our culture and the lack of sex education in the in in the education system in Australia is pathetic and so i think we we've grown up and our children are still growing up in quite a um sheltered culture when it comes to sex so on the whole i think we we hold back and but there's always pockets of um, people that I find who are really open, for example, in Byron Bay near where I live, very open sexually and the kids are quite open too. So it depends where we live. But Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I have to say maybe eastern suburbs in Sydney is not, um, yeah. <laughs> not super <laughs> open. But I do think about like, you know, my first experience with sex and I know certainly my girlfriends at the time and some of them still are my girlfriends and I don't know if I could think of a healthy story actually. I think Mm. for the most part it felt pretty traumatic and then you remember there was that real pressure at that age. It's like, have you done it yet? Have you done it? And there was Mm. a few people in my social circle where certainly I I don't know, sometimes I think we were just like ticking it off. Definitely. Mm. Yeah, definitely. It's still happening. It's like in social circles in high schools, women or the young women and men are definitely feeling pressured to quote unquote lose their virginity. Mm. Yeah, it's really sad. Traumatic. Mm. Um, Your very first episode of Authentic Sex was about the sacred slut. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just from one podcaster to another, I love listening back to the first and then as you get yeah. into kind of like, you know, I'm in the 20s now, so you're in the like, what are you, you're close to 70 now, I think. I just recorded episode 76 today. So Wow. Yeah, that's actually a good point. I should go back and listen to that. That would be It's pretty cool. I mean... I find listening to myself slow torture so um. Yeah, yeah. I, I've only just recently started listening to myself since I've brought other people on probably in the last five episodes. It's taken me, let's say, it's taken me 70 episodes to actually listen because I cringe at my voice. Mm. But now I'm learning to love it. 
And I, I have to agree with you that I've had a feedback that my voice is like calming. I'm like, wow, I thought I was monotone, but mm, someone said it voice. was, someone said it sounded like butter and I was like, fuck yeah, I'll take that. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it, it sounds like, um, it sounds like oh, shortbread at Christmas, like really oh buttery shortbread. God, thank you. <laughs> Um, anyway, back to your first episode, which mm. was about um, the sacred slut. Mm. And I wondered if you could tell us who she is mm. and then also how can we perhaps honour her and then access her? Mm. Okay. Well, the sacred slut, she's an archetype within us as women. And, as, and, and within men too, but we're speaking about women today. So she's an archetype within us that fully embraces our sex and our desire and our yearning for connection and intimacy and fucking and am I allowed to swear? Oh, my God, oh. yes. Good. I keep saying um, all I do is swear and cry, so that's... Oh, okay. Well, I can do both a lot, so... <laughs> I'm glad we're on the same page. Um, yeah, so um, the sacred slut, yeah, embraces embraces all of her, like the darkness and the light. You know, the the, the ugliness and the 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 beauty, which really ugly is beauty. In, in yeah, that's a big big topic. Mm. But um, she is a woman who has sex from a really conscious place and respects her body and treats her body like a temple but not and doesn't necessarily mean just because there's slut in there it doesn't necessarily mean that she's sleeping with a lot of people but when she does there's um a lot of thought put into it and mm. and yet she could be sleeping with to people every day and they can be really embodied, amazing conscious experiences. So I think it's not just about being a slut and doing, you know, say a slutty dance, quote-unquote slutty dance, and then embracing your slut. There's more to the sacred slut. There's more sacredness. It, it originates back in like Egypt in temples where women would dance and men would go and watch the women and believe that if they entered the temple that they were they were closer to enlightenment just by watching that that woman dance wow so that's where where it originates well that's where for me it originates in the temples and the the sacred um prostitutes too you know the men would would really respect and honor them and um so there's a lot of history because mm, i think Part of what I've heard you speak about is, I guess, redefining the term slut because we've, you know, society has certainly made it a dirty, bad word. Mm. But you don't subscribe to that, do you? No, I love it when someone calls me a slut. I'm like, yeah, thank you. Because I've see, I, I don't see, I know that there's a really negative connotation to it and it's still happening, especially in like high schools and, you know, like she's a slut and blah blah but um I don't I think we need to redefine the word and I mean I have a 12 year old daughter and she knows my definition of what a slut is 
And I think it, it, starts, it should start really young, mm. teaching, you know, young girls about these different parts of themselves. Mm. Mm. And then I'd like to talk to you about um, sex as a healing modality. And you mm. see sex as an integral part of sort of growth and, and well-being. Mm. I wondered if we can talk about that in a practical sense What do you mean by sex as a healing modality? Well, sex brings up a lot of stuff in us. So it's not just like the porn sex. It's not like, you know, just fucking come basically Mm. with pretty faces and nice sounds. Sex moves energy in our body and sexual energy is really powerful. So when we're engaging sexually with ourselves or with someone else, the energy moves through our body and it kind of has the ability to unlock emotion that we've been pushing down. So what can happen when you're having really um, ecstatic sex, like really connected, amazing sex, it can actually not just be... um, really beautiful and soft but it can also bring up rage and anger or Mm. sadness and grief and that's I know I'm enjoying really great sex when I'm feeling a full range of emotions not just "Ah, ah, ah," and then you know that's it it's not a show it's like it can be ugly it can be loud it can be you could be crying you can be bashing a pillow because you need to get anger out um, so that's why I see it as a healing modality because it's it's where, yeah, you can heal from past trauma and or present trauma or grief or death. Mm. Mm. I guess that's like a good point on like you want the person in your bed to be someone that you can unpack that with perhaps after because – however you're left feeling after the experience, like is that not the time to then sort of continue that healing through talking and communication as well? You know, it's like even if you were to take a lover for one night, I've heard on your podcast that you said you, you're kind of, before you were in a relationship, obviously your bench was would I want to wake up next to this person? Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's been one of my kind of rules of like, before I jump into some into bed with someone, I ask myself, would I want to wake up next to them and would I want to be them? Because if they're not inspiring me and I'm not looking at them being like, wow, you're a pretty amazing person, I'd love to share breakfast with you, then I don't jump into bed with them. Mm. I mean, that's like the last few years, not my early 20s, definitely. <laughs> but that's what's so like amazing about this conversation is like, and the work that you're doing, like the ability to educate women earlier, mm. you know, like how many um, of those traumatic sexual experiences would we not have had had we mm. have known that, just that little rule even, or like yeah. that one boundary. Because I just feel like when I think about, you know, my teens, I would say I was pretty sexually conservative actually because I didn't want to be labelled a slut. And, but mm. then I also think about the experiences maybe I missed out on because of that, mm. you mm. know. Um, but like for young girls who have maybe found themselves left feeling a bit um, traumatised, 
That's what I think is so important what you're doing and so fucking refreshing actually because we're yeah. just not having those conversations in this this country. No, we're not. We're not having them. There needs to be more holistic sex education for children, teenagers and adults and, um, yeah, it's definitely lacking. And to answer your question before that about talking after sex, it's definitely can be like really healing to talk afterwards and sometimes I don't think we need to say anything like you know sometimes you just know that you just need to be held or you need to just need to hold your partner and put their hand on your your hand on their heart but other times it's really good to be able to communicate what went on for you mm. especially if you're crying hysterically you know <laughs> your partner usually is quite curious as to like hey like how are you feeling is there anything you want to talk about mm. And then you sobbing, yes. <laughs> yeah. There is. Um, yeah. How, um, so many of us are interested in the concept of manifestation, how to attract that which we want. I've been doing it for most of my life. We all have in a lot of ways. But I'll admit I never linked manifesting and my sexual energy. Juliet called this method of manifesting sex magic. I asked her to break it down for us. Um, sex magic is using the power of sexual energy to manifest stuff in life, basically. So like I said before, our sexual energy is really powerful. It's our life force energy, which is why it shouldn't be missed when we're thinking about health in a bigger sense because it, we all have sexual energy in our body. Even if we feel shut down, we've still got like this little bubbling kind of well of energy that can be tapped into and accessed so with sex magic you can practice it through self-pleasure so sex with yourself or sex with others one other or two others or however many you wish but you um, have an intention for the sex session or the lovemaking session and so I'll give an example um my partner and I use sex magic a fair bit and we've used it. Well, right now we're using it to manifest um, land to buy. So we have like a vision for what we want to, where we want to live and what type of land we want. And so our intention, say we made love tonight, would be to manifest that and always manifest abundance financially too because that brings the freedom to mm. live where we want to live and, you know, travel etc um and then we have that intention and then whilst we're making love the the like the merging of sexual energy and the magic that happens when you're merging two bodies and the power of um visualizing what it is that you want to manifest in your life that sex magic it it's like it manifests stuff it's just magic so it's hard to describe however mm. there's quantum physics behind it if you're really interested in all that like it's not just some hippie tantra stuff it's it's actually there's quantum physics behind manifestation mm. um and using the power of union between two or more people or union with yourself you can manifest a lot and then if you're bleeding um, I know you didn't talk about this, but you didn't ask me this, but if you're bleeding, a bleeding woman who's menstruating is really powerful. Like most intuitive 
is when you're most intuitive when you're bleeding and um, just going back to the ancient days again in the temples, the women who were bleeding were seen as the most powerful women in the room and, and honoured and um, treated like the, the most goddess of all goddesses while they're bleeding. So if you're practising sex magic while you're bleeding, then it's super powerful. Mm. It's like supercharge charging the sex. It's interesting you bring up menstruation because I did add it to my list after we mm. spoke and mm. I had wondered about it because has your experience working with clients been that some women feel very um, sexual and sort of desirable and desire on their period versus others who don't? Yeah, yeah. definitely, yeah. I guess yeah, some women are really up for it when they're bleeding and others aren't and that's okay there's no right and wrong at all Mm. it's just Mm. I guess all down to how you feel on any given day of your period and then I wonder if you can share um because I do I have some like some questions where I just want some hardcore advice for women listening and myself obviously Mm. but what are your tips Mm. to um to sex when you've got your period um, well, the first one would be before you consider having sex when you're, when you're bleeding or when you've got your period is to like fully be able to, Im- I guess, accept your blood and like the messiness of that Yes. and the, the, the smell of your blood and, and if you're really out there, um, the taste of your blood, I mean, that's getting a little bit crazy. So we but it's like fully connecting to that as something that's part of you and it's so powerful. I mean, it's like that blood was there to create a baby and as you know, that's just a fucking miracle in itself. So um, first step is really connect to your own menstrual cycle throughout the whole cycle so that you're feeling in touch with your your fertility and your your um, womb space, and then and then you'll feel more comfortable when you engage with someone else sexually when you're bleeding. And um, practical tips would be if you don't want to get be washing sheets, um, you know, every day while you're bleeding, um, then put down like buy yourself a black towel and yeah. use. I just use the black towel, so just put down a black towel under you so you're not having to, like, clean up a lot of blood. Um, And, you know, communicate with your partner about it. See how they feel about it too. Some people freak out with period blood. Well, I was going to say, yes, that was one of the things, like, I can imagine that there would be women with partners and there would be men even listening that, Mm. you know, it's been my experience that, Men have sort of been programmed to be like, ooh, mm. oh, you're in your period or like, oh, you're going to go and put mm. a tampon in or whatever, mm. you know. So I guess it's kind of, sort of like breaking that down as well and, and normalising something that happens to us for an extremely relevant reason sort of once a month. But um, <laughs> yeah. what advice would you have for women who perhaps do feel really desirable on their period or, or when they're bleeding and would like to explore that with their partner but maybe their partner would feel that that's a bit icky? 
Mm. Well, first be understanding towards your partner if they do feel it's icky. Don't judge them because it's not it's not entirely their fault that they're feeling a little like, say, weirded out by sex and periods. Um, maybe they haven't had like the mum who's given them a good um, education about it or a mother who's, who's really embraced her own period blood. Um, and then so, so don't judge them, like listen to what they're saying. And then I guess, you, you, you know, you can explain to them why it's so important to you and um, request that they open up to the idea or of embracing that part of yourself. But it is a tricky subject. Some men don't enjoy having sex with women while they're bleeding. But I think there's a larger percentage that don't mind it at all. I would have to agree with that. You know, it's been the most interesting journey for me because um, Tony, my husband and I, we lost a little baby in um, late September last Mm. year. And, um, you know, seeing my body and watching my body respond to pregnancy, I guess nothing can really, as you know, prepare you for that. Um, Mm. But then... I opted into the DNC procedure mm-hmm. and one of the most fascinating things that I've observed about my body on the back of it is obviously my period comes on a different day. So, you know, I've had the same cycle my whole life yeah. and now my dates are different. So even that's like, whoa, whoa okay. And then, yeah. you know, the blood is new and mm. I also have this renewed or just like fresh appreciation for for my body and my womb, you know, I had no interaction or relationship with it beforehand. My period was an inconvenience, quite frankly, Mm. and it was an easy period because a lot of the time I was on the pill. And Mm. so for the first time in my life as a 33-year-old woman, I'm experiencing very intense cramps, headaches, Mm. my period's very heavy and it's never been heavy before. Mm. And so it's almost like I've got this brand new cycle it's weird like you get sort of it's literally you're scraped yeah and you start from the beginning and the blood is like it's bright red Mm. you know and which is healthy mm, that's good that's good but then when I compare it to like before and and it's just interesting because we don't know what we don't know and you only know what you have Mm. right Mm. so it's been like every month now I'm like whoa it's almost like I feel like a different person yeah, yeah, well, your whole body is cleansing and letting go of that lining and so it's like you're, in a way, you're birthing yes. newness every month and getting rid of the old and having the opportunity to to shed that and then what, what, you, what you could do was, um, I mean, there's blood magic too, which is another topic, but you, you could look at it as each cycle is a new cycle in life and Mm. mm, I really feel for you with the the loss of the baby. Oh, thank you, Dahl. It's Mm. been, um, what's it been now? I guess like five or so months and Mm. I think that that's been really the sort of foundational reason this podcast exists actually because 
what I mm. thought it was going to be is not what it is. <laughs> and mm. it's been a real form of therapy for me um, mm. and something that has just kept me exploring, you know, in the time when I really wanted to shut down and shut out. Mm. I had to keep putting myself out there because I'd committed myself to recording my voice every week, as you know. Yeah. You know, so not getting off yeah. that train in a time of grief, I think, was the best thing I could have done um, mm. versus retreat. Yeah, definitely. And what a beautiful gift that child brought into your life because now, you know, you're sharing this work with so many women and so, and impacting women in ways you'll never imagine. So, mm. thank you, baby. Oh, my God. Thank you. Um, I guess the way I'm reflecting on it now is like, I know that wasn't our baby, mm. and it has opened my eyes to everything you know I was just walking Mm. around one eye open I think and so Mm. very much on that career track and it was all about acquiring things and titles and Mm. stuff you know and now I'm in this such a fucking phenomenal place of I have trouble spending money to be quite honest like I Mm. don't want anything like my desire is purely based on getting to know myself better. I've learned Vedic meditation, which has been Mm. life-changing for me. Um, Mm. And I just don't, couldn't have been here without that experience, you know, so. Yeah. It's weird. It's weird when you're like, I'm I'm glad that happened. (laughs) Yeah, Mm. definitely. I had an ectopic pregnancy a few years ago. Oh, I'm um, sorry. Yeah, it was traumatic. I think I'm still like processing it in a way and that was just a similar experience it really makes you look at life differently and um just but I think it it all happens for a reason you know it's like an opportunity to grow more and for me understand what it's like to lose a baby which I didn't understand before so now now I can empathise more with mm. other women. And I'm sure that must come up a lot with your clients. Like I guess one mm. of the things has also been rediscovering sex on the back of that mm. for, for Tony and I, mm. you know, without like going down that road too much. I told you you'll probably divorce me if I talk about our sex life on the podcast. Yeah, um, yeah <laughs> no. that's totally but, I respect that. But yeah. at the same time, you know, sex takes on a whole new meaning when the purpose of the sex is knowingly wanting to bring a child into the world, you know, and then Mm -hmm. having a shot at doing that and that not working. And then, you know, it's just, it feels like it's a genderless now, which is so incredible actually. But do you find Mm -hmm. that with your clients that perhaps on the back of trying and failing, like I can only imagine I, I had said I never wanted to have that sex. I don't want that programmed. Like mm. I don't want to do that at this time of this month when I'm this temperature. <laughs> yeah. You know. I think it can definitely complicate things when we are doing, you know, the temperature and the, the mucus um, and just trying to figure out exactly when when we're ovulating as women and then trying to get pregnant. It can definitely take the romance out of sex and it it can make it stressful definitely but it, it's a tricky one it to is hard. address what advice mm. do you have maybe for women listening who 
you know, maybe are actively trying to fall pregnant and, you know, they also don't want to sort of ruin the moment (laughs) in Mm. a way as well. And I know you're a big advocate for just having sex regularly, right? So it's like, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, well, (sighs) advice I have would be to like really prioritise that connection and intimacy with your partner, not just when you're ovulating but throughout the month and if that means that you know you go do a workshop or you read a book about sex together or you just keep the keep it flowing keep the the like intimacy and connection flowing in that area and think a child well it depends what your um, belief system is around children and souls and all that but if I were a soul, which obviously I am, and at one stage must have been like, oh, okay, I'm going to pick these parents, I would be really love to pick parents who are making love and really connecting and like drop into that space over uh, parents who are just kind of having sex because they have to, because they want an outcome and they want the baby. So I always think more in terms of like what would I want if I were a little soul choosing my parents mm-hmm. and I would, I would want the parents who are really like connected and having beautiful, amazing lovemaking and so I, my advice is to prioritise that and if you need to get help or support or deal with whatever's coming up for you then don't be afraid to, to ask for that or do couples therapy or whatever it is because it can be a really intense time. Mm. I love that so much. I'm such a firm believer in that concept. Our soul chooses its path and journey. Juliet and I moved on to more practical advice as it relates to expanding our sex lives. In the context of sitting in our shadow, the parts of us that can feel less conservative and sometimes even shameful, I asked her how we can communicate those more secret desires. Well, firstly, for singles or someone who's in a relationship, I think it's like about fully accepting that that's part of you and fully accepting those desires as an individual Um, because I'll address the single women if you're listening and say you're like, oh, I want to explore a bit of BDSM or I want like a kinky partner or whatever. Um, if you can fully accept that about you, then you're more likely to then attract in lovers who also desire the same things. That's been my experience Mm. of it. And then if you're in a relationship and you're wanting to explore and say the last couple of years you've been having quite, um, like you said, straight or I'd call it like vanilla sex, which there's nothing wrong with that at all. But if you're now like, oh, I want a bit of spice, um, I just I encourage you to first do the same thing, like really own that about yourself and um, and accept that part of you, and then open up the conversation in a gentle and loving way with your partner, not with the necessarily with an outcome of him or her saying yes, but so don't go in there thinking, well, he's going to have to say yes, otherwise. Um, this is doomed, but more so just expressing like these are my desires, this is what I've been thinking about. Um, You don't have to say anything right now. You can just listen. We don't need to have an outcome. 
Um, but I just wanted to kind of put it out there that I want to communicate with you about these things and I want to share this part of myself with you because I love you. Mm. And just be okay if they're a little bit thrown. Be okay if they're like you're a weirdo because that's just their stuff. Be okay. Or you, or you may be surprised and they're like, oh, my God, I've been wanting this all my life but I didn't want to say it. Let's... Um, get the strap on and I don't know, whatever it is, whatever (laughs) Whatever the weird stuff is. And that's the thing, isn't it? It's like what a shame to have been with someone all like for years say and Mm. you've both secretly felt the same way but haven't said anything. Like we talk about communication Mm. being important but fuck. Like Mm. there's a lot of um, couples out there I can imagine that just aren't having those conversations because sometimes it's really hard to find an entry point into the conversation Mm, you know what I mean yeah definitely it's not going to be always easy like reality is even for me who who makes a living out of talking about sex I on the regular have to have awkward conversations with my partner about sex where I'm like I'm I'm just like I mean, obviously it's a bit easier for me than maybe the everyday um, person, but it can be confronting. Sometimes it can trigger people and it could turn into an argument, but it's better said than not said. And often if we have really good communication skills um, and we can listen, then it's better said than not said. That's mm. <laughs> what I'm trying to say. Oh, no, I get you. Mm. Um, I think like sometimes there's a tendency to feel shame around desires that maybe society has labelled sort of smutty or dirty, you know. Mm-hmm. And so how do you think about that? Like when I think about porn, mm. you know, there's still a lot of shame around porn and like even women enjoying it or watching it or mm. – and I'm talking like I know outside of your – field and perhaps the conversations that you're having more regularly being on the outside of that you know I've got like literally a couple of friends where we can talk openly about it but there's other friends where I've kind of tried to discuss sex and it's kind of a bit of a shutdown zone Um, but what's your I know it's quite broad but your view on porn and then couples oh. using it. I mean, I know it's such a healthy thing to do, but like sometimes I think it also paints a really um, inaccurate picture of good sex. Yeah, definitely. I'm not anti-porn and I'm not like pro lots of porn. I'm just somewhere in the middle because I just think there's just literally no rights and wrongs with as long as there's consenting adults. But um. I think you just got to check in with each other, like how does it feel to watch porn together if it's something that you're both really enjoying and you feel like it's adding to your relationship, then go for it. But if one of you is in conflict and is just doing it for the other person or if you watch it and then feel a little empty or like gross or just like "Mm, this doesn't feel like this is enabling us to connect more, then I would question why you're watching it. Um, And then porn in general is definitely, most of it is produced um, 
by from the male gaze. Mm. So it's very much about the cum shot um, and women who are faking orgasms and um, with like really perfect vaginas. Well, that's what I was going to say. It creates unrealistic expectations around what vaginas and penises should look like. So, in general, the producers are just picking big, uh, big cocks, and then the porn pussy, which is like, you know, a pussy that is looks like I don't, I don't know, like this tiny little pussy. Mm. And of course, there's nothing wrong with tiny little pussies, but it's like there's so many different looks and shapes of pussies and colours. And it's just not represented on porn. Oh, I couldn't agree um, more. And and I feel like porn doesn't really represent love and connection at all. It's very physical. So, mm. um, but I heard a podcast the other day with um, a guy, a teacher of mine, and he was saying that um, you know if he would, he's a tantra teacher. If he were to produce porn, it would just be boring because. So many elements of really connected sex. Uh, the, the most magical moments are in the like, this, just these quiet moments where you're barely moving. Yeah. So actually, like deeply connected sex may not sell heaps <laughs> <laughs> because it's not like slamming and it's almost like and silent cinema and yeah. coming and yeah, it's like it's not going to get the ratings. Yeah, that's so <laughs> interesting. Mm. Um, I wanted to talk to you about control Mm. and I think there's a lot of women who have sort of subscribed to that sort of, um, so I guess it's a, it's a very career sort of lady boss. We're there and it's fantastic in so many ways, but we're also in this pursuit of perfection in all areas of our life. So everything has to look a certain way. We have to look a certain way. We have to be called something, wear something. So there's a lot mm. of control there um, in image as well. Mm. And so I wonder what advice you have for women mm. who are perhaps very in, in control in their lives. Um, how do we, l- like, let mm. go of that control in the bedroom? Good question. I'm just working on this with my – I've just employed a new um, coach and she's just said to me <laughs> the other day in a session, she was like, you need to be in control a lot, don't you? And I'm like, yeah, damn it, we have to work on this again. Like, <laughs> So I'm one of those women I do like to be in control. But when it goes, often you'll find, I find with clients and friends and everything that women who are like to be in control in life, in like career, in, in friendships and whatever it is, and, that when they go into the bedroom, ultimately they're yearning to lose control and to surrender and just to be taken. So you'll find a common thread that I see is like really, you know, high-end business women who are power women, quote-unquote, they are the ones who then just want to be tied up and don't want to do anything because it's the only way that they can access that energy behind closed doors. Mm. So mm. that's interesting. Um, A healer of mine, Jeannie Burke, she's amazing. Um, Mm. If you're actually, if you're ever in Sydney, 
I'm going to go see her. Yes, I'm going to introduce you on email. Um, But she's taught me a lot about my feminine and masculine energy and I was in a big leadership role and, you know, I'd have to be on like that every day where you're leading, you're in control, you're making all the decisions. So it's very dominant energy Mm. all day. And then she taught me so much about, you know, when I got on the bus on the way home to put on music or um, a soft podcast or something that allows me to get in touch with my feminine Mm-hmm. So that when I walk in the door, I bring in, you know, I bring in that woman, you know, that Alison, mm-hmm. that's kind of like wife Alison. And that's what I would see as like, and people are always so surprised about this with Tony and I, like I am the absolute like princess in our relationship. Like I, mm. it's like I dominate and control in all other areas of my life. But as soon as I walk in that door, I'm with him. I'm completely surrendered to like, being mm. taken and cared for and um yeah and I think That's it's interesting awesome. if you don't know the switch you know yeah you have to definitely like you said work on being in your feminine energy if you are wanting to be in a relationship where in you know tr- the traditional relationship if we're talking about between a man and a woman but this can apply to same-sex relationships because often in same-sex there's somebody who's more in the more um, masculine energy and that, that by that it could be like yin and yang energy if you don't want to talk masculine feminine but back to being in the feminine as a woman you definitely need to learn to access that energy like whether it's through dance or music or going for a swim in the ocean being in nature nature is the feminine nature represents the feminine because nature is flowing and moving with the seasons and the weather and so finding how you can access that energy and then bringing it into your relationship is really amazing because then it allows your partner to step into his or her masculine more. Mm. You can't have two people in their masculine. It just doesn't work. Oh, and that's a power you, struggle. <laughs> it's a power struggle and it, it's guaranteed no sex mm. because it's a it's, – um, you need polarity between the masculine and feminine energy for there to be fireworks in the bedroom. And this is, and I really want to be inclusive of of women listening who are in same-sex relationships, it's exactly the same. There still needs to be a polarity between energies. You can't both be wanting to be in control because it's not going to work. Mm, That is such good advice. Mm. It's like, you know, if you're both wanting to be on top and yes. dominate, it's not going to work. If you both just want to lie there like starfish, <laughs> boring as fuck. Boring as fuck. No one got time for that sex. Well, I don't have time for it, but I've experienced it. <laughs> I was in a same-sex relationship and for a long time and so um, I, well, I won't go into mm. the details out of respect for her, but... Definitely we both wanted to be in our feminine mm. and then we both wanted to be in our masculine and it just didn't work. Dynamics don't work mm. like that. I wonder if we could talk about um, dildos. Sure. Here's me. I was like, we'll keep it pretty PC. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> I'm totally off script now. Um, yeah. And I want to talk about your beautiful um, Juliet crystal dildo that was a joke calling it juliet and it just took off it's just the best name like well if i create a dildo i may as well call Call it juliet so everyone gets to have sex with me yeah that was the joke and now now everyone buys it um (laughs) i wanted to talk about 
it because I feel like Crystal's got a bit of a bad run. And, uh-huh. you know, I get it, like the Yoni Crystals and all of mm-hmm. that. You know, a lot of people roll their eyes at that. But can you talk to mm. us about the benefits of using a crystal, crystal dildo? Yeah, sure. I rolled my eyes at the start too. I was like, fuck, these hippies, they've taken it way too far. They're now carving their crystals into dildos <laughs> and saying that, the, you know, they're feeling great. And I was like, ah. Oh. And then a friend of mine said, why don't you just try a rose quartz one? And so I got it and it stayed in my top drawer for ages. And um, I finally used it. And I had this moment where I was self-pleasuring and I was using a vibrator and I was like, this is not working for me. Like I feel numb to this and it feels really yuck. And so I got the crystal and um, and I loved it. And so the, the benefits are that crystals come from the earth. They're obviously charged with different energies and hold different energies. And so they have different ways that they impact us with our sex life and our sexual energy. The other thing is that they're natural and they don't have all the nasties that regular sex toys have in them. The sex toy industry is not regulated, so they don't have, there's no rules. So a lot of um, dildos um, are full of weirdo ingredients Mm -hmm. and um, Women are getting a lot of bacterial infections and thrush and, you know, all those things from sex toys. Um, and so I'm sure the reason why I love well. the crystals is because they're natural and they're beautiful. Mm. Would that, be the, would that from, be the same for lube as well? Because a lot of people don't oh, know what's yeah. in lube. Do not use mainstream lube. That's my, like, really strong opinion on lube. So much lube has just a load of crap in it and it, with the pH of the vagina and it's not our vagina is so delicate inside it's so like the flora in there is just amazing but if you put in something that's like a chemical or um you know a poisonous substance which guaranteed is in I mean it's in a lot of the um products we use on our skin and internally but it can create um havoc in there and so I recommend using organic coconut oil mm. or if you're using condoms, finding a water-based lubricant that is um, natural. Because the coconut mm. oil can break the condom, right? Is that the- yeah, well, condom, the manufacturers say don't use, co- don't use oil with condoms because it, it can break down the latex or if you're using non-latex. I personally break the rules um, and I use, oh, I don't use condoms anymore, but in the past I've used oil with condoms. I've never had a problem. But, you know, if you want to go by the rules and what they're saying, um, then you're supposed to use, not use um, oil with condoms. On her podcast, Authentic Sex, Juliet educates on the different types of orgasms we can experience. And also why it's important for women not to become reliant on our clitoral orgasms only. I asked her to unpack that a bit. Clitoral orgasms, for those who don't know, are orgasms that we experience as women and they're from having the clitoris stimulated in some way, often by a vibrator 
or by our hand or by, by the tongue or hand of somebody else. And um, there's nothing wrong with having clitoral orgasms. However, um, what we can, what can tend to happen and what's common is that we become really reliant on that type of orgasm. And that type of orgasm is, um, if you think of your sexual energy, it's located in the base of your body at your genitals. And, but what you want to do to have, to feel a lot of pleasure is to cycle the sexual energy up through our entire body. What a clitoral orgasm does is it builds the energy at our genitals and then it goes out and down through the lower chakras of the body if you're thinking energy. So if we're always having clitoral orgasms, we miss out on all other types of orgasms and all different types of pleasure in the body. So uh, am I making sense? Yes, yeah. Yeah. So... um, A lot of women report that when they have clitoral orgasms, often straight away, first it's very short and sharp, it doesn't last long, and then they feel, can often feel disappointed or feel left like they want wanting more or that there's something more to experience. They can feel a real instant like lack of connection with their partner. It's very similar to a man ejaculating. It's a similar feeling to what the man feels after ejaculation, Mm. which is like, often just like, boom, done, I'm done, I don't need to connect anymore, you're no longer, I don't, I don't need this anymore. So, um, so where am I headed with this? I encourage women to um, explore feeling sexual energy in different ways and not just from rubbing their clit and getting off. Mm. So not having a goal of that type of orgasm and maybe even abstaining from that type of orgasm for a few days so that you can begin to feel different sensations of orgasm in your body. Because mm, I guess, like, is there a bit of a retraining in a way? Yeah, it's like an unlearning. You know, it's like anything, any personal development that people think you've got to learn new stuff and really most personal development is about unlearning what we've learned. <laughs> It's like, yeah, deprogramming. So it's the same with orgasm if you've been doing it a certain way since you were, say, 14 or whenever you started masturbating, then um, then you can learn new ways mm. and, yeah. So there's like varying levels of orgasmic energy, right? Mm-hmm. And then at any given time you may experience... Like and I think like that's what I'm trying to get across is like every time the feeling rightly should be different. Yeah, well, it's not cookie cutter like it, you know you have one A, B, or C type of orgasm. It's so different and unique for each woman, and at different times of the month and different times in life. So no one orgasm is going to be the same as the next. Mm. Um, I think we like. There's this belief that orgasm is this really big bang of like ecstasy and it's like, oh, I'm seeing stars and I'm connecting to the universe. But orgasmic energy, what I've been taught and what I believe, it really begins flowing in our body from that moment that we feel turned on, so even before sex. And 
if we really can tune into the sensations that we feel when we're turned on, then we can begin to like tap into that energy more. And so we're all orgasmic. It's just how, how much we connect into feeling all different sensations in our body. So once you stop going for the goal of just having the short, sharp clitoral orgasm and you take that out, you will begin to notice different sensations. Mm. Um, one, one thing I'd love to know, and maybe I'm asking this to, so that anyone listening, maybe they have their desires, um, normalized. Mm-hmm. What are the common things that when you're sort of working with clients mm-hmm. and whether that's sort of on their own or as couples, what are the things that women and men generally want but maybe feel too ashamed to say or for whatever reason don't have the confidence to express what they mm. want in the bedroom? But what are some of the common wants and desires? Uh, well, for women, a common one would be being dominated, being taken, being like thrown on the bed and fucked. Mm-hmm. basically that would be a common like fantasy or desire it's just it's not even a fantasy it, it's just like this deep yearning we have as women to be fully taken and to fully surrender to our partner mm. and fully open and open our heart and our pussy and like yeah so the feeling dominated is a really common one that women want um that's the most common one then you know there's it's really common for women to feel um like have fantasies about other women it doesn't necessarily mean that they're a lesbian or bi or or anything it just means that they're seeing something in other women that they feel attracted to and it may be that you know the woman at work is this confident powerful woman and that turns turns them on. It doesn't necessarily mean they want to have sex with that woman. It may mean that they want more of that power in their life and it just kind of turns turns them on in their sex centre. Mm. But women fantasising about women is a really common one. Even when they're in marriages with men, it's like it doesn't need to be a marriage record. It's just like, oh, yeah, that woman turns me on. That's mm. okay. And then what about guys? Um, well, common ones for men would be, hmm, yeah, have, being able to have, it's interesting because it's a bit like kind of what women want, but we're just too scared to both talk about it, but being able to fully just take a woman and like ravish her. Mm. So, you know, bend her over the bed and just like fuck her mm. and, and, and like have that permission. So do it with love and consent but be able to fully take and and ravish that's something that men want a lot of but they have they can have a lot of shame around that because um shame around just wanting to take Mm, shame or being too rough or like hurting yeah, yeah yeah men just want us to be happy they want to provide they want to provide pleasure for us they want to provide for us in so many ways And so um, they don't want to upset us as women. So it can be really confusing for men, I think, 
um, as to what we want as women. <laughs> one minute we're crying and we're like, I just want you to make love to me. And then the next one we're like, why don't you fuck me and bend me over more? And it's like, fuck, what the hell oh do you want? God. Like I know because I've been in a relationship with women and I'm like, oh, my goodness. It's like a fucking weather system from hell here right now. I'm confused. <laughs> Oh, I used to, I've always said, um, like the worst thing you can ask, or this might, this is probably a massive generalization, but certainly, um, the conversations I've had with my girlfriends, like the worst thing you could ask a woman in the bedroom, is this okay? Oh yeah. (laughs) Like that is such a mood crusher. It's like. It is. Or like, if you have to ask, what do I want? I want you to know what I (laughs) I, I mean, I mean, this. You know, here I am promoting communication, and now I'm saying, don't ask what the woman wants. Yeah. Um, so I'm. Not, it's a tricky one, but it just comes back down to we, or let's just say you and I, who are in control in life. Um, we. Well, I'll speak for myself. Actually, not speak for you. I want to just be taken. I want to let go. I want to just surrender. I don't want to think anymore when I'm in the bedroom. I don't want to make decisions. I don't want to be asked anything really. Mm, don't want to talk. Yeah, it's just like, mm. just fuck me. <laughs> um, I have one last question for you and it's a question I ask all of my guests. Mm. And I know you listened to Zoe's episode so you may have heard it on hers. Mm. But offline exists as an exploration of self and where it started was asking that question as women, who are we without all the labels we put on ourselves? Mm. You know, so for you, mother, um, partner, sexologist. And so when mm. you're sitting in your true self, um, how do you identify that and and who are you and it's kind of expansive, but like somebody asked it to me and I kind of went to characteristics of myself. But mm. yes, when you're sitting in your true self, who are you? Oh, fuck. Um, that's a really good question. Like Something a- I'm actually exploring at the moment Amazing. is like getting out of my ego. Yes. <laughs> and my ego's desires and identity and like what the truth is behind all the bullshit and the Instagram and the sexologist title and all that. Mm. Um, um, who am I? Oh. Do you feel oh. like actually that has, sorry to interrupt you, that that yeah. has impacted you and your sense of self, like I guess the notoriety and, you know, the Instagram following? Do you think that has impacted you? Um, no doubt it has in some ways. I'm not quite sure how, um, specifically. I think I have a real love-hate with Instagram. Like, I Mm. think it's awesome for business and I wouldn't be where I am now in my career without it. But I struggle with the fakeness, like the, the... just the pretty pictures that are painted and not the realness that's painted on there. Um, and so I, I now don't engage much. I just post and get off. I don't even follow anyone because I don't, if I didn't have my business, I wouldn't be on there to be honest. Mm, oh yeah. I relate to that. There's still days now where I'm like, wow, do I want to do this? (laughs) 
Yeah. You know, but it is a marketing yeah. tool, isn't it? And It's a great marketing tool. It's getting the message out there to thousands of people. And it's helping so impact. many women. Like, wow. Mm. Yeah, exactly. So it's really awesome. Um, but sometimes I'm just like, how honest do I be? Like, yeah, mm. it's a tricky one. Mm. But um, true self. does that answer? Yeah, true self, yeah. I was probably loving the Instagram question because it, <laughs> it meant I got to Diversion. avoid the true self. Yeah. Anything else? Um, <laughs> any other diversions that you've got on store for me? But that could um, be your answer. Divert. Thank you. Yeah. No, my true self, look, I'm just a woman like who wants, I yearn to open my heart and be truly seen and to um, let down my armour and that that guards my heart and I I just I yearn to to love and be love and and like share my love with so many people but definitely with my partner um, and my beautiful daughter and um, the other side of me is like I just want to want to hang out and like have babies and the white picket fence and not have all the you know, the, back to the Instagram and the business yes. and all that. Like I really love a simple life. I don't need much. Like I could live out of a van and be most happiest when we go travelling in the van. Mm. So, um, yeah, just lots of great sex mm. and really authentic connections. Mm. That's pretty I'd rather bloody have, like, beautiful. Yeah. That's me. That's a great answer. Such mm. a good. I keep threatening to um, move to to a farm in Byron, quit it all. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Yeah, maybe I'll see you. Up yeah. There. Yeah. Well, I'm. I'm gonna. I want to move to Tasmania, away from everybody, and um, I'm serious, and <laughs> just get off the mainland completely. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, all right, I've done enough in life. Now I'm going to disappear on a farm, have a chicken and or maybe more than one chicken. But. Mm. And isn't that the most interesting thing that like in this world where we can really have anything we want and we are connected in a way that should be helpful, it's just non-sustainable, like we're all just feeling like we just want to retreat, you know. Mm. It's fascinating. Like it's really like a, a going back to what it was yeah. before, you know, the living off the land and. It's true. It's very uh-huh. true, yeah. Um, mm. Well, I have to thank you so much for being on my podcast and I say that because I know, I know you don't do this very often and I really didn't <laughs> even know whether you were going to say yes. <laughs> so um, it's such a thrill actually to talk to you and to be able to mm. share, yeah, a bit of a new topic, I guess, with offline listeners. Yeah, oh, it's been an absolute pleasure, I think. Like I, I work really intuitively and I just, my intuition tells me that, uh, you know, I had to be on this podcast and um, and that you're doing great things. And so, yeah, I'm happy to come back anytime God. and do part two. Well, you know what? I actually might take you up on that. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Offline. Visit getoffline.co to explore more episodes, the online courses I've created to help you succeed consciously, and upcoming community events. 
follow getoffline.co on Instagram, and me. My handle is Alison Larson Rice. Lastly, if you know someone who would benefit from hearing these honest conversations, please share offline with them. 